0: I love you. you. D has been leaving that for me probably because he thinks that he needs it. But I do want to say that when I say I love you, I don't only love you, I love the people that are on the internet as well that are watching live stream. I love the people that are in the chapel um, as well uh, watching the live stream that comes through. But uh, thank you guys so much for being in here and thank you guys so much for for tuning in. It's been an absolute joy to go through this book. Uh, First John. Nobody is learning more than I am as we study, as we study this book um, of 1 John. And uh, I like how John is so clear. John just says, the reason why I wrote this book is that so you will know that you believe. The reason why I wrote this book is so you will know that you believe. So we can look at this book and every aspect of the book is explaining to us, I want to know that I believe. So what happens when you believe, something's going to come out of you. When you believe something's going to happen to you. When you believe your old nature is gone, your new nature is alive, the Holy Spirit enters you. And if the Holy Spirit enters you and Christ is in you, I mean, there's no way that nothing can come out of us. There's no way that nothing can change us. And no way that nothing could have an impact on us. And it just gives us the dynamics of what the gospel looks like as we look through this book. And just a, a really fast review as we were looking through the weeks. So a Believer has a deep-seated joy in the gospel. That was the first four verses that we looked at. A believer has a fellowship with God. A believer walks in the light. Light is a kingdom, just like darkness is a kingdom. A believer believes he or she um, is a sinner. These are just things that happen to a believer. Number one, believers are obedient to God. Believers are obedient to God. Now, this is a word we do not like. In fact, all of us respond to this word one way or the other. Uh, there's two different ways, two different kind of people that respond to this word. And and, uh, the first way is that people go obedient to God. I'm not obedient to God. I am therefore guilty. I am therefore ruined. I'm therefore destroyed because I try to be obedient to God. But I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail. I'm just going to give up. And they're just paralyzed completely um, with guilt. If that is you... First John says, knock it off. <laughs> if that is you, First John, John explains us just, just stop that. Because as we looked at last week, this is a passage we looked at last week. First John 1.8 says this, If you say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, you better be saying that you're a sinner. But it's interesting the dynamics of how he wrote it. Because as soon as he says, you are a sinner, he gives you something that takes the guilt right away. If you confess your sins, you're a sinner, but if you confess your sins, he is faithful, he is righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll take care of you. You're a sinner, but relax. I'll take care of you. Bring your sin to me, and if you bring your sin to me, what, I am faithful and righteous to forgiveness of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he says it again. So you can see how he's worked the dynamic of sin. You're a sinner, but relax. You can go to me and you can get forgiveness. He says you're a sinner again in verse 10. If you say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. But then he gives us a whole other download for us to relax and get rid of the guilt. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sin, and not only for our sin only, but also for the sin of of the whole world. And what does that verse say? That verse says that you are not going to get to heaven by yourself. You're not going to get to heaven by your life. You're not going to get to heaven by your righteousness. You're not going to get to heaven by your good deeds. You're going to get to heaven by somebody else's life, somebody else's righteousness, somebody else's good deeds. And who is that? That is the advocates. You see, as we're saying we're a sinner, God's saying, don't worry, you're taken care of. You're taken care of, completely and entirely taken care of, if you choose to do something with it. Repent and embrace the advocate. So being a sinner should not crush you. Being a sinner should not crush you. It should drive you. It should drive you where? Drive you to the cross. It should drive you to Christ. I'm not saying sin more, sin more, sin more. I'm saying that we should be crushed under our sin and then embrace the Savior and embrace the Savior. Why? Because instead of moving towards guilt. Because what guilt is literally saying is that, you know, God, I don't know if I can get over my past. You're just saying, God, I don't think you're strong enough to forgive my past. That's exactly what you're saying if you're paralyzed by guilt. God, I don't know if I can come to you because of what I've done. You're saying, God, what I've done is worse than what you have, um, is so bad that you cannot even save me. Your, your death isn't good enough. Your burial is not good enough. Your resurrection is not good enough. See how God is saying, you're a sinner, but I'll take it all away. So therefore, if you look at this word obedient and you get crushed and say, oh boy, here comes another sermon where I feel guilty, uh, just (laughs) relax. Because every time God says you're a sinner or every time he says you need to be obedient, we have an advocate that we can consistently go to. The other person is that obedience makes a person mad. Like, oh my goodness, you're gonna talk about obedience? Oh, this is a legalistic church. You want us to obey God? You guys are legalistic. Don't you understand grace? Don't you understand mercy? Don't you understand God's love? If we have it all, then we can do whatever we want. Why? Because it's all atoned for. It's all taken care of. And obedience makes us critical. Well, we're going to talk about Pharisees. If I tell you, if the John tells you you need to obey, then trying to make us into a Pharisee, because we can't obey perfectly because we still sin. What's he trying to make us? This obedient word responds to us. And we react to it consistently. Let's look at our passage this morning. And as we look at our passage, I want you to think of every time you hear the word obedience, what is God asking you to obey? I'm just going to wrap it up really, really fast. This is what God wants you to do. Love him, love others. That's it. Every time you hear the word obedience, love God and love others. And what's going to happen? The law is going to be completely and entirely complete. It's going to be complete. The whole goal, motivation of Scripture and everything that has taken place is love God, love others. And whenever he says you need to obey, he's telling you love me and love others. Let's look at the passage, First John 2. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. The man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old commandment is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new commandment. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining." we're looking through this verse. I just want to break it in three different sections to talk about what does sin nature look like? What is obedience? What do you get from obeying God? We're going to break this verse down. Number two, got to look back a little bit of review. Our sin nature consistently cries, take what you want, live as if the world revolves around you, and be your own God. I'd like to introduce you to my dogs. I don't think I've ever introduced you to my dogs. And so here's a picture on the screen. It's Nora, Bella, and Baxter. Nora is on the right. She looks mighty proper. Back, um, Bella is on the left, and uh, she's anything but proper. And Baxter, he's worse than both of them put together, that, that, little, one, that little one in the middle. Um, inside their nature, they have a hunting aspect. I mean, they, they, they love to hunt. And I'll tell you what the end thing is around our house. It's all about mice. Go after mice. Go after mice. We'll be sitting in the house, and there'll be a big old dog fight that's taking place. What it means is that Baxter's the quickest. He gets the mouse, and the big dogs are the biggest, so they take it away from him. And then we got a big old fight on our hand. But they're just obsessive with with killing mice. And yesterday, no, it was Friday night. I was out um, um, throwing wood in my trailer. It's wood that I cut, split, but it was laying there. Um, all summer long. And as I was laying there all summer long, all these mice went up into, into the wood. And so as I was picking up a piece of wood, throwing it in the trailer, the mice would just start jetting out. Well, my dogs caught wind of it or something because they all showed up there. And all three of them showed up and they all surrounded me. And they're looking intently, every single wood I picked up. And sometimes two mice would take off, and then the dogs would just chase and chase and chase and chase. chase. Three mice, four mice. I mean, it was just a scatter of mice, and they were just absolutely having a heyday with this. They'd go over there, they'd grab the mice, and then they'd eat the whole thing whole. I'm saying, you know, that's not appropriate. You can't eat the whole thing whole. You're going to get sick. You're going to go into the house. When you guys go into the house, you're going to barf on the carpet. My wife's going to question me, not you, of what took place. So I tried to control the situation a little bit. I said, no, you guys can't eat them. So I stopped the dog before they eat them. Then the mouse is still alive. And then, then I have to pay attention to not do wood because i got three dogs I'm trying to control. And they're so obsessive with it. So I, I came up with a plan. I'll let them eat the head but not the stomach because it will kill the mouse. And if it kills the mouse, then I don't have to worry about it anymore because I'll just put it underneath the dirt and they won't keep on digging it. So they would eat the head and then I'd try to push them away and grab a hold of the stomach. Well, now I'm fighting my dogs. Because as I'm fighting my dogs, I'm like, well, you take a steak away from a dog, you take a mouse away from the dog, the big dogs don't care, but that little snapper, Baxter, he would sit there and he'd snap at me every time i tried try to take his mice away from me. And I'm like, the cats don't even eat the mice's stomach because I know it would make them sick. I'll let you eat the head, but not the stomach. So I'm trying to negotiate a little bit, but I'll tell you, I was not having that much fun out there trying to manage my dog. But it got worse, because after you pick up the wood the mice all scatter. And as soon as they scatter, they see the dogs and they run from the dogs and they look for a hiding place. And you know the best hiding place there was? It was up my pant leg. <laughs> pant <laughs> leg was right there. And all of a sudden, all these mice start screaming and then they start jumping up my pant leg. And as they're climbing up my pant leg, I start dancing. And the dogs <laughs> think that this is fun, enjoying themselves. And what am I doing? I'm kicking my dog. I'm trying to do the wood. I'm trying to maintain the mice. It was an absolute disaster. So do you know what I did? I just said, no, but they didn't listen to me. They didn't listen to me. Something was driving them. Something was pushing them. Something was sending them. Something was motivating them where they were out of control. What was it? It was an instinct that was inside their nature that wanted something, and they didn't really care about behaving at that time. We have an instinct as well. First John 1.8 says this, if we, have, if we say that we have no sin... And then verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, these are two different things. What they're saying is that you have sin. That means you have a nature of sin. There's something in you that is driving your actions, something in you that is driving your behaviors, something in you that is driving all the actions that take place, all the sin that takes place. You have a nature, and then you have actions. Sin is not only a violation of rules, Sin is ingrained into your being, and when sin is ingrained into your being, it is driving you, it is sending you, it is pushing you, and it is motivating you. And what is it? What is this thing that's driving you? Genesis 3, 3 through 5 says, Eve said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. This is when she's being tempted by the serpent. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. In other words, just take what you want. for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, the whole world evolves around you, and you will be like God, and you can be your own God. There's something in us that is driving our actions forward. And do you know what that is? It's self-dependence, self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-focused, self-obsessed, self-indulged, self-justification. Pride is driving us to feed our nature. And when we feed our nature, we can get completely and entirely wicked in the process. But this is what is driving this. Have you ever heard the comment, I and I alone can judge what is right and wrong for me? As soon as I and I alone get to judge what is right and wrong for me, I take, I take, I take, I take, I take. And when I take, I take, I strip, I strip away from other people. And in the process of stripping away from other people, I'm actually even stripping away from me. See so what happens in salvation? If salvation comes and says, you need to conquer that sin nature, you need to fight that sin nature, you need to replace the thing that the world, you don't get to take what you want, you need to replace the whole thing that the world revolves around you, and you need to replace the object of thinking that you're your own God and put God in there as well. So I'll ask the question, What is obedience? What is obedience? That was a review from last week, but let's look at new, new information. What is obedience? Obedience is the willingness to have your will crossed. Obedience is the willingness to have your will crossed. And what we do is we think that obedience puts us into chains. In other words, if I have to obey something, that person locks me up and I'm controlled by that person and I'm not a free man or a free woman because I'm being controlled. But that is not the case at all. In fact, obedience, what it does is it frees us. Obedience sets us free and, and literally breaks the chains. What do I mean by that? Let's just look at the physical aspect. Physically, I'll tell you what my nature says. Don't get up in the morning. <laughs> Sleep. Just, just, just stay in bed. Stay in bed. In fact, I could stay in bed all day and I could probably um, enjoy it. But as I stay in bed, something has got to go beyond that. I need to break the desire of my will. And if I break the desire of my will, and I have my will crossed, and I get out of bed, what do I get? I start getting getting a life. When we think about exercise, even in physical obedience, what takes place? When we exercise, you are literally saying, I am going to cross my will so I can get stronger stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, more healthy. So when I walk, I don't, I'm not completely out of breath. So I am crossing my will when I jog. I'm crossing my will when I swim. i cross crossing my will when I run. I cross my will when I exercise, and I do it for a purpose. The reason why I do it for a purpose is because I want to be free from the body that says sleep, 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 die, 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 crush, 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 but then I cross my will to even keep it alive and to keep it more healthy obedience is crossing your will so you can be physically fit to survive like you're supposed to survive here on this earth. Is to function like you're supposed to function here on this earth. You have to cross your will every day. You have to be obedient every day. Have you ever looked at a piece of chocolate cake? <laughs> I got to cross my will so I can be strong rather than weak. You see, when it comes to obedience, it's not who we are going to obey that makes us weak or makes us strong. It's not, when it comes to obedience, it's not that we're not obedient, it's who we are gonna obey. And when we decide to obey the one thing, it's gonna make us either strong or make us weak. Let's just look at this. Love God and love others. That's, That's God's command. It's God's command. I'm gonna give you a commandment. Cross your will. You're not gonna feel like it. You're not gonna want it. But this is where you're gonna cross your will. Love God and love others every time we do it, we're crossing our will. Why? Because our nature is what? Take what you want, live it for the world of around you, and be your own God. You see the two natures that are taking place? My nature, it's inside of me. Take what you want. I need to cross my will. If I cross my will, I'm being obedient to what? The master. My nature says, live as if the world evolves around me. That isn't our nature. That's what's going to take place in our marriage. It's what's going to take place in our relationship. The world evolves around me. If God is asking me to be obedient, what is he saying? What I want you to do is I want you to cross your will. That's what he's asking you to do. The other thing is be your own God. We all want to be in charge of our life. We all want to be driving our life. We want to be sending our life. We have to cross our. Our will consistently, because our nature consistently cries, pushes, and sends. But God is saying, if you want the spirit I have, if you want the love I have, if you want the wisdom I have, if you want the strength I have, if you want salvation that I have given you to offer, you're going to need to consistently cross your will. You're going to consistently need to cross your nature. You're going to consistently need to what? Obey obey. So let's look into it. what does obedience gives you as we look through this verse. Obedience gives you a life. What kind of world would you like to live in? What kind of world would you like to live in? One where everybody takes what they want, lives if the world evolves around them, and being your own God. If we all did that, what are we going to do? We're going to completely destroy and annihilate everything that is around us. If we let our nature turn loose, take control, we're going to destroy everything completely and entirely around us. We'll destroy our relationships. We'll destroy, we'll destroy absolutely everything that is there. What God is saying, I want you to go back and function the way that you were designed to function. I want you to function the way that Adam and Eve functioned in the world before sin ever took place. I want you to obey me so there will be a harmony in relationships, so there will be a harmony in your emotions, so there will even be a harmony in the way that society is functioning if you love God and love others. Do you see the dynamics of its, of its power? Life is functioning in the way that it was originally designed is God's aim for you. Life functioning in the way that it was originally designed is God's aim for you. Let's look at the passage, First John 1, 6, and I did add some other passages in there, but there's one word that consistently comes up. If we claim we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we claim we have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly Made complete in him. Yet I'm writing the new commandment, not writing a new commandment, it is truth is seen in him and you because of the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What does the word truth mean? Truth is the way that is supposed to be. Truth is the way that is supposed to be. So therefore, if I obey my body and sleep in, I'll be crushed as a person. But if I go against my will and I get up and I exercise, I'll be strong as a person. If you obey God, what's going to take place? If you cross your will and obey God, you will move back into the way that life is supposed to function for you. And you'll see it in your home. You'll see it in your job. You'll see it wherever it is taking place. God is consistently saying, love me and love others Because it's what you want, even though your nature says otherwise. Love me and love others because it is what you want, even though that your nature says otherwise. And if you follow that nature, you will destroy and annihilate everything that is around you. God understands truth. Truth is the way it's supposed to be, and he's pulling us back to it when he says, obey me. Obedience gives you a life. Obedience gives you something else. Number five, obedience gives you indication that you know God. I just want to show you a little slide, just a comparison. And I just put these filling in the blanks. You know, as I've said numerous times, take what you want. The world evolves around you, and you are your own God. Well, something gives you the opposite direction. In fact, when you are saved, something completely opposite happens to you. A new birth. But what is that new birth? God says, give it away. Live for others. Obey God. Are these things going the same direction a little bit? (laughs) are these things going completely opposite directions? These things are going completely opposite directions. You cannot take what you want and give it away at the same time. Just like we saw in, a couple of weeks ago in John, light shows up, darkness disappears. If darkness is there, there's no light around. It's black and white so we can specifically see it because you cannot take what you want and give it away at the same time. The world evolves around you and live for others are going the two complete opposite directions. You are your own God and obey God. They're going completely opposite directions. Therefore, I can figure out if I'm a believer or not. Because I can just evaluate my life to see what kind of direction that I'm going. And there's no neutral zone that takes place. Why? Because I have a nature like my dog that does not stop. That will keep pushing and keep pressing and go this direction. But when God says, I want you to obey me, what's going to take place is a direction is going to start going where I'm giving it away, live for others, and obey God. It's a whole different dynamic. So we can even look at our lives and say, do I even know God? It's a time in my life that I questioned myself. If I even knew God. There's was a time that I was woodcutting. I was sitting here chopping wood. And, and, uh, and as I was chopping wood and, and filling up my truck, and it was oak. It was heavy. It was hard. It was not easy. And this is this a while ago. This is like 20 years ago. Um, I just kept on thinking. And as I kept on thinking, do I even know God? Do my attitude, my behavior even show that I know God? And as I kept on thinking about that, I said, you know what? I need to make a statement to myself right now that I need to know God. I knew a widow that needed wood. I did not take my truck home. I actually called her up and said, hey, I have a load of wood. I'm going to drop at your house and I'll stack it and everything. I did not do that for her. I did it for me. And the reason why I did it for me, because I started asking, do I even know God? Is there even thing in me that is just driving unselfishness and what I want? I need to just make a statement just so I can have the security on whether I even know God or not. We can easily make the statement to ourselves, just depending on what we're going to say to ourselves. Take the nature one way or the other. They're both going two different directions. You'll see that the whole Bible is like this, What I mean by the whole Bible is like this. When you see the Beatitudes that are in Matthew, what does it talk about? It talks about happy is the person. Blessed is the person that does what? Blessed is the person who's poor in spirit. (laughs) My nature doesn't want to be poor in spirit. (laughs) My nature does not want to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the person who mourns. I do not want to look like a man that stands up here and mourns in front of you. That's not my nature. But it's completely opposite. He's saying, God is saying happy is that person. Blessed is the meek. What is meek? Meek is power under control. If I have power, I want to show it to you. Why? Because I want to take what I want, the world evolves around me and be my own God. But no, no, it's a whole different salvation. When you embrace salvation, be meek and you'll be happy. Take the power and let it be completely and entirely under control. Meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Uh, If you're persecuted, if you're hated, that's all okay. But that's all against my nature. That's all against my nature. But see what happens when you receive God, what happens? You receive something that's beyond your nature. You receive something that's beyond your nature that will combat your nature where you can be an absolutely new person. But if you are not willing to have your will crossed, you should start thinking about what you've embraced. You start thinking about what you've embraced. Because what we're going to do is we're going to be going this way or we're going to be going this way. And it all is in the understanding of am I just going to be obedient because I need to know which one I'm following. John, First John 2, 3 says this. We know that we have come to know him if what? If we obey his commandments. Question you. Do I know him? Do I know him? Do I know him? Oh, convince yourself. Say something. Respond. Give something away. Number six, obedience allows you to experience the love of God. Love and obedience always goes together. Do you know what is frightening about a relationship? Is that when you love someone, you have to release control. When you love someone, you have to release control. I will tell you that it's easy to um, embrace an object. And the reason why is if you embrace an object and you use an object, they don't ask for nothing in return. They don't have any needs. They don't have any emotions. They don't have any loves. They don't have any feelings. So I can just show up and I can take an object. I can use it. I can abuse it. And I can throw it in the barn and it does not care. You know, love is completely out of it. But if you are going to embrace a subject, embrace a person, do you know what they're going to come with? They're going to come with needs. They're going to come with emotions. They're going to come with what? loves. They're going to come with hates. They're going to come with hurts. All these things are going to take place. Think about when you get married. When you get married, you put two people in the house living together. And the first year is, you know, statistically the most difficult year of marriage. Why? Because we all have loves. We all have needs. We all have hurts. And what we're doing in this process is we're trying to fill our own need for it. But that's not what love is. Because when love takes place and you're going to grow together and if that marriage is going to, um, is going to make it, you need to actually release control. And what I mean by release control, I need to figure out what my love, why my wife's loves are, what my wife's hates are, my wife's wills are. And I need to not make them something that is just an object but something that is an obligation that I will cross my will for the purpose of growing together in intimacy with her. You consistently have to cross your will in a relationship, if you want a personal relationship, you must obey the will of the others. You must obey the will of the others, and when you do, what's going to take place? A relationship goes stronger and stronger and stronger, and as I look at my marriage, being married for 24 and a half years, I can say that we are closer now than we were then. Why? Because I consistently cross my will, she crosses her will, and then we unite together it 's the same with God. 1 John 2, 4 says, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what his commandment, is is a liar. Often in Scripture, the word know doesn't mean just be aware of God. It is a personal experience with God. It is a personal relationship with God, is what takes place. So if you are not obeying his commandments, and you say, Oh, I know him. I have a personal experience with him. That passage is saying, No, you don't. You're a liar. You haven't experienced him. You haven't understood that love that he has to offer you. You haven't grabbed it. Obedience is a statement to you that you have grabbed it as your love grows closer and closer. Number seven, obedience gives you an increased knowledge of God. Do you understand God's forgiveness? Do you understand God's love? Do you understand God's mercy? It's a question that is just asked And the question for a believer is always, yes, of course I do. But you have not understood God's forgiveness until you have to forgive somebody that does not deserve it. Because when you are faced to forgive somebody that does not deserve it, it all of a sudden puts God's love in perspective. It completely puts God's love in perspective. Why? Because the last person that deserves God's love is me, and he sacrificed and forgave me. So when I forgive somebody that should not have it, what's going to take place? Well, they haven't deserved it. They haven't earned it. They shouldn't have it. Why would I forgive it? I'll just consistently hold this grudge. Well, as long as we do that, we're not going to experience the love of God because we're not going to understand the amount he forgave you until you literally forgive that person. And when you forgive that person and even feel the pain and the dynamics and the nuances of forgiveness, what's going to take place? It's going to get richer and richer and richer and deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. Why? Because you understand your relationship with God even more. Why? Because you don't deserve it, yet he forgives you. And all of a sudden, forgiveness starts to turn alive in your life. The forgiveness that God gave you. It's the same thing with mercy. You do not understand mercy until you have mercy on someone that should not have it. And when you have mercy on somebody that should not have it, you're getting a taste of God's mercy is given to you because you should not have it from him. It just happens is we get to know God. We get to understand the knowledge of God. We get to understand how God works, how God functions, how God feels when we are faced with the th- same things that Jesus was faced with when he died on the cross for you. Same way with love. You do not understand love until you, under- until you love until you love somebody that doesn't deserve it, somebody that shouldn't have it. But as soon as you love somebody that should not have it, what happens? God's love turns- takes place in your life. You see the power of of obedience. Obedience gives you an increased knowledge of what God has done for you, what God has given you. Obedience makes you in this process. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And then what is not in him? The truth is not in him. If I forgive, I understand that I have been forgiven. If I have mercy, I understand that I have mercy, that I've been given mercy by God. And if I love, I understand that I have been loved by someone that should not have loved me. I see God more and more. Number eight, in closing. Obedience gives you an increased intimacy with God. Just want to read the passage and then talk a little bit about it. 1 John 2, 5 says, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Every single religion out there says, Obey and you will be saved. Christianity says, I will save you and then obey. It's complete opposite. Obey and you will be saved. Christianity says, I will save you then obey. What's taken place is this love has been given to you for the purpose of obedience. This love has been given to you for the purpose of obedience. Why is it given to you for the purpose of obedience? Because God wants to save you and everybody around you. Love me, remember the first command, and do what? Love others. In that process, according to this verse, God's love is truly made complete. One translation says, perfected. God lived out the message of love to you and then all of a sudden it is perfected in me and I start living out the message of love to others. I feel God's love coming towards me and as I feel God's love coming to me, it starts to come out of my system to love others. That's what God is saying when it's made complete. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. It has been done. And again, my wife and my relationship What do we do? We have a cycle, a circle that is going on. I love her, she loves me, and then we respond and that love continues to grow and grow and grow. It is the same way with God. The completeness of love of God is that it's been given to me. I take it, I swallow it, I taste it, and then all of a sudden I respond to it. Respond to him and respond to others. That's the power of the gospel message. God, thank you that you were obedient to the cross. And I think of the tears that were shed in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, when you, um, or the sweat that was gone, when you sweated blood, God. And he said the words, not my will, but let yours be done. God, it was a statement of love to your Father and as a statement of love to us. I just pray, God, that that love would sink in deep, so deep into every one of our lives that we want to go beyond our sinful nature, a nature that is, that is corrupting us, a nature, a nature that is sending us, a nature that is trying to make us our own God. I just pray that, we, that we'll embrace that, and your love will go deep enough, God, to conquer that within. God, I just pray that we'll be powerful enough to conquer our own will so we know that we love you. Thank you, God, for loving us. Help us to love you and love others in that, in that process. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.